Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, today there's this uh, game on thing, this TV deal, right? Uh, and every year I ask this question, uh, who's going to win? And so we'll let you uh, make a prediction. How many believe 49ers will win? How many believe the Chiefs will win? And how many don't care? Yeah. I got to tell you, the same, the same percentage in first service. People just don't care. Hey, can I ask you a question? I mean, this is, this is confession. You ready for a confession? How many of you aren't even going to watch the game? You're not going to watch the game. Look. Look around. Now, now you're, an, you're kind of an anomaly because they say today that more people will watch the Super Bowl than any other televised event in history, okay? Uh, but I also give you stats every year, like, um, well, they're food stats. I thought you might want to know what they are. 1.4 billion chicken wings will be devoured. That's 27 more than last year. Now, it would be uh, 27 million more than last year. It would be higher, except a lot of people have gone meatless this last year. Uh, plant-based burgers like Burger King. Uh, KFC even has plant-based chicken now. I don't know how they could call it chicken, but it's plant-based, right? And one of the craving things is, and it's a great thing, it's called cauliflower. How many have discovered cauliflower? Yeah. Well, people make mashed potatoes out of it, and uh, if you parboil it and then put it in cold water, then get your grill ready, you put it on the grill and get those good char marks on it, then you take some hot wing sauce and pour it over the top of the cauliflower. Come on, some of you should be like into this. That cauliflower tastes great. Now, in most restaurants, they charge between 9 and $13 for what I just said. You can make it at home for about a buck. So I'm just trying to save you uh, some money and give you some recipes uh, that you might want to use. So cauliflower is a big thing. Last year, 28 million pounds of potato chips. Wow. And 8 million pounds of guacamole. Yeah, 8 million pounds, which is enough to take the football field today at the stadium and then make it 11 feet deep with guacamole. That's a guacamole. That's how many. And they're predicting between 13 and a half and 14 million pizzas will be ordered in the U.S. This is not overseas, just the, just the U.S. Uh, but glad that so many of you don't care. It's also Groundhog Day today. And Puxatawney Phil came out of his hole, did not see his shadow, so spring is coming early. And it's also a palindrome today. Did you know that? It's 02022020. So it's all special right here. And you heard it here at LFC. Okay. Well, thank you for coming. And uh, now let's go to our verse that we've been using. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Let's read it together, can we? God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. Then we could escape our evil desires and the corrupt influences of this world. See, God made great and precious promises or marvelous promises for us 
And God is a promise maker. He's also a promise keeper. And it's his promises that give us hope in the dark, that we stand upon the promises of God, like the old hymn said. And in your notes, through the promises of God, we see the heart of God, and the nature of God becomes a part of us. It helps us to understand who we are. We're going to talk about being heirs of God today, that God has given us precious promises. And by seeing the heart of God, we have hope. By seeing the promises of God, we have hope. Now, if you have a Bible, you could turn to Numbers uh, 13. That's where we're going to be today for a little bit. And I want you to imagine in your greatest creative mind a group of about a million people standing on a precipice overlooking a lush valley. Behind them, it's dark, it's desolate, it's desert sand. But over this precipice, we have lush, green, rolling hills and waterfalls to the right and ponds to the left and shade trees and trees of every kind with fruit all over them, lush fruit. And somehow, milk and honey are flowing. And these people are standing there at the promised land of God, but they don't step over the line. They don't walk into the inheritance that God has promised for them. Now, of course, they've never experienced anything like this before. And we'll see in Numbers 13, verse 27, they gave Moses this account. Well, who are they? They're the 12 spies. And God said, I want you to take one spy from every tribe, one person that would be indigenous to that tribe. So when they came back, they said, oh, here, here, here comes Frank. What does Frank have to say? We know Frank. Well, 10 of the spies came back and said, we can't enter the land. We can't enter the land. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can. And as we'll see in our text today, those 10 naysayers polluted and corrupted the minds and the hearts of a million people. Just think, 10 people were able to infiltrate the minds and the hearts of a million people. The negative speak. Well, here it is. We went to the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, just, just like you said. And, and, and here, it, there's fruit everywhere. The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Termites. They, they live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea. Now, they knew exactly where everyone was positioned. They saw the land that was fruitful. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, no, notice, here was the positive speak. He said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can what? Certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't. Joshua and Caleb, we can do it. The rest, we can't. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And here's what they said. The land we explored devours those living in it. Now, by the way, they didn't see the land devouring anyone. Isn't that interesting? They started by saying, the giants are too big for us. 
to tackle. Too big for us to take. But then they say this, the land devours. And I studied this phrase. It literally means that the land opened up and swallowed people whole. Not one report was that way. But when you start down the negative path, the naysayer path, pretty soon you exaggerate. It's a fear, right? False evidence appearing real. And they have such a negative risk-averse report. They said the people in the land uh, we export devours the living and all the people we saw there are of a what? Of a great size. And everyone became doubtful. It didn't take long for Moses to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it took Moses and God 40 years to get Egypt out of the people. Sometimes we have to stop and say, God, (laughs) and I don't mean this in any disrespect, could you heal me from my family of origin? I met with a couple years ago that was about to get married, and they wanted my advice, and so I said, tell me about your families, and both of their families were highly dysfunctional and, and very negative, very mean. There was a lot of divorce and disaster on both sides. And, and I said it kind of facetiously, but I, but I meant it, and they took me up on it. I said, you guys need therapy to deal with your family of origin. And you'd usually think the woman would say, that's right, no, but it was the guy. He spoke up and said, can you recommend a good therapist, which I did. The therapist was able to help them. Why? Because they didn't want to take the history of their past into their future. So sometimes we need to stop and say, God... God, would you get my past out of my soul so I can embrace what you have for me? Can you imagine someone today in the 49er locker room saying, we can't. They're going to take them by their, they're going to throw them out. (laughs) Yesterday, as both the teams were doing their walkthroughs, can you imagine somebody on the Chiefs saying, hey, them dudes on the 49ers will devour us. They They will swallow us whole. Could you imagine that? No, they, they wouldn't last very long, would they? You know what they're getting? They're getting good music piped in. They're getting nice. They're probably getting re- right now. They're probably, well, some are probably still sleeping. Who knows? I doubt it. Not at this time in, in Florida, right? They're, they're, they're probably, probably getting a massage, listening to their favorite music. Some guys are listening to, to, to classical. Some are listening to heavy metal. Come on, you know. There's all kinds of things happening. But here's the key. Numbers 13, 1 and 2, Moses said, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving. Hmm. Now, in the Hebrew, we don't have past, present, and future. We just have perfect or imperfect tense. So when he says, I am giving to you, uh, the perfect uh, tense means it's already been given. It's already been given. It's kind of like heaven when we come to Christ. We have a place reserved for us in heaven. It's our inheritance, Peter tells us. So I'd like you to understand this. Number one, we need to live out of our inheritance or my inheritance and not out of my circumstances. Twelve men went in the land. Ten said no way. Two said yes. Ten saw the land through the lens of problem. And two saw the land through the lens of promise. Let me ask you a quick question. What's your, what's your lenses like? Do they look at every problem, every circumstance? you get overwhelmed? Or do you look at the promises of God 
to say, I am, Romans 8, 17, an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. So let me read to you from Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 17. It reads this way. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are. Catch that. We know who he is. We know who we are. That's all about our identity. We are, he's the father. We are the children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable what? Inheritance. Galatians 3.29, I love this. Paul says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here's the key. We need to belong and deeply connect with God through Jesus Christ. We need to know him. We need to talk to him. We need to listen to him. It can't be superficial. It must be a relationship of depth. depth. The second thing is to know God and to know my identity. So you can't live out your inheritance if you don't know who God is and if you don't know who you are. Now, there's some parents in this room, and I'd like to have a few minutes of your time if you'd allow me. Raise your kids knowing who they are. Don't let them wonder. Let them know they're a part of your family, even with all your flaws, right? We're part of your, our family. But let them know that in Christ, they're a part of God's family, that they have a sense of of identity and a sense of understanding that there's an inheritance for them. See, we saw it last week, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. The devil came to Adam and Eve and distilled doubt in them. Did God say? And here's what I see in the kids, especially elementary age and the middle school age. There's a lot of doubt. And some of you parents, God bless you, you do a great job reinforcing who your kids are. You create wholesome activities for them. Uh, I see some of your stuff on social media, and I go, that's great. That's great. You bring them to church. Yay. Thank you for trusting us with your kids. Our kids are in classroom experience today. Next week, they'll be in Kids United. Our youth group are actually having a service over there. I just came from uh, Connections Building. Man, there's kids over there, young people, leaders. They're buzzing. It's exciting. They're together. And we want to create not a seed of doubt, but a seed of understanding and confidence who they are in Christ and that they belong to the Lord. Remember, we've said this so many times around here. Whatever you believe to be the truest thing about you will become truth to you. Let me say it again. Whatever you believe to be the truest thing about you will become truth to you. So, ladies, if if you're skinny and you're in great shape, but you believe that you're fat, right, that will become the truest thing about yourself. That will become a part of your identity. If you're successful and you believe you're not successful, that will become the truest thing about you. That's why some PhDs think they're stupid. Guess what happens to their life? They never live to their potential because they believe they're lesser than who they are or what they've accomplished to be. If I believe that I'm not worthy of God's love, and even when his love comes to me, I don't feel loved by God, if that becomes the truest thing about me, even the God of the universe is going to have a hard time penetrating my hard heart. Why? Because that truth becomes a part of who I am. 
If your family of origin raised you in such a way where there was no sense of value, you always had to climb over their bar to kind of get accepted and loved, and you're always fighting for their attention, you're going to feel like you don't have much value in life. But, but here's what the God of you, the universe says, you are so important that I love you with an everlasting love. And even as we celebrated in communion that the Lord loved you enough to give his son Jesus to die for you. See, what tactic did the, tactic did the serpent use? He didn't use anger or lust or fear. He used the seed of doubt. Did God really say? So here's the devil's MO. I just want you to get it. We talk about it a lot because I don't want you to be caught off guard. His MO is this, doubt to the truth that we believe. Doubt to the truth that we believe. And when young people have a doubt to the truth that they believe, who they are, what they're capable of, then they are vulnerable to anybody in culture coming to them and saying, you need to do this, be like this, wear this stuff, act this way, uh, and act out this way, as opposed to living secure in our identity, we could be living in an insecurity of our identity. Again, repetitious, I get it. But when Jesus was in the wilderness, what did the devil say? If you are the son of God, and God had just declared over his life, you are my beloved son. And when someone comes to Christ and they believe in Jesus Christ, and the Lord somehow by his Holy Spirit lets them understand that they've been forgiven for their sins, it could be a short amount of time that they start walking in shame again. Or they don't believe that what God really said is true. But that's why I want to bring you to this very important point. And, and, and the point is this, that we need to know God and we need to know our identity and we need to know, number three, who we are in Christ. Who are you in Christ? Do you know that? Who are you in Christ? I love what 1 Peter 2.9 says. It tells us who we are. Let's read it, okay? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's... Come on, let's say it one again. God's... Oh, one more time. God's... That's who we are. Isn't that great? God looks in all his possessions and says, wow, there you are. And he looks at your face and he goes, wow, look at my special possession that you may declare the praises of what? Of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So let me ask you this question. And, and I'm looking for one word answers, okay? What do we have in Christ? What do we have in Christ? Anybody? Peace? Celebration? Faith? Love, hope, joy, assurance, blessed assurance. Come on. Holy Spirit, what else do we have in Christ? Huh? Everlasting life. Thank you. What about over here? Forgiveness. See, think about all these things we have in Christ. That is why we are declared the praises of God. So let me give you a secret here, how you can praise God every day. All you do is start with this. God, I praise you today because, and then you fill in the blank. I praise you for assurance. I praise you for everlasting life. I praise you for being in Christ. I praise you for forgiveness. I praise you for, and just go through the list. And guess what? You create your own worship service. 
Well, I got to wait for the band to come back. No. I got to wait for those two great Air Force commanders to, to lead me in worship. No. They're great, but no. You can worship God yourself. Lord, I praise you because, and by the way, back to parents, this would be a great exercise for your kids. Why do you praise God and thank God? I praise him because you're an awesome daddy or mommy. See, you want to hear them say that. But you want them to also go spiritual. I praise God because I know he's going to be with me as I go to school today. If God is for me, who could be against me? I'm an awesome warrior for God. Come on. So our kids can't, be, can't succumb to all the pressures of the world. They've got to know who they are in your home. They've got to know who they are in Christ. And you have to know as adults, that we are to declare the praises of God who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Come on. Now, I'm going to go back to my first point because, you know, sometimes these points go down the street and they're all the way to Surf Beach. We kind of miss them. But back to the first point, it said, we live out of my inheritance and not my circumstances. So when I understand who I am in Christ, my circumstance doesn't dictate how I'm going to live or behave. I, it doesn't mean I, I, I deny the reality of what's around me. It's just I know who I am. And, and one of the things I'm glad about as I get older, I, I'm more secure in who I am now. Man, when I was like 22 years old, a brand new young pastor just starting out, man, my insecurity level was so high. So when I meet with young pastors and young leaders, even young parents, you know what I tell them? Kill your insecurities as soon as you can. Just kill them. Take them to the cross, stab them real good, knock them over the head, open the ground up, bury them, and say, I'm done with you. Get rid of them. Otherwise, you'll carry those insecurities into your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. I know some guys that are in their 80s and are still insecure. Why should we be when God's given us an identity in him that's greater than ourselves? See, God made us who, are, who we are, and so we could be, make known who he is. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. God saved us so we would save others. Number four, know what you have in Christ. Standing on the precipice of the promised land. They could have walked in, but they didn't. Where does fear grip your heart? Where does being risk-averse come in? And you go, oh, I wish I would, I should have, I, I could have, but I, but, I, but, I, but I didn't. And now, that's not to shame you from your past. What it should do is motivate you for the future because you say, God, I want to walk into the riches of your glory. Well, his name was uh, Timothy Henry Gray, 60-year-old. And his body was found in Wyoming under the uh, uh, Union Pacific Railroad overpass. It was two days after Christmas in 2012. And as I read this story, I thought, man, this is, this is the story of underdeveloped identity. There's no foul play, no indication of mischief or a crime, a homeless cowboy who died of hypothermia. Gray was a victim of bad breaks and bad luck except a few details about his story. When he was found, they opened his wallet, and there was a stack of uncashed checks that had been written from a trust fund. Never cashed them. And then they began to look into his background and his ancestry and found out that his family were 
wealthy copper miners, and they had also built some amazing railroads. And in Nevada, they had founded this little city. Maybe you heard of it, Las Vegas. The estate of which he was an heir, one of several, was worth over $300 million. And Timothy Henry Gray would have received his portion of over $19 million. And he died broke. Hypothermia. I wonder what his life would have been like. I wonder what he could have done with a heart of generosity, how he could have given that money to others and how he could have secured a house for himself. And Now, some of you, if we told you that you were the heir of a $19 million estate, you would be camping out on the porch of the family, would you not? Some of you would be opening the door for the last surviving person. Not tripping them, I said, but opening the door and trying to bless them. You know, I wonder how many Christians today have the ability to walk into an inheritance and yet they choose to live as paupers a rich inheritance of faith and blessing and grace and forgiveness, yet they stand back without walking into the greatness of Jesus Christ or the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have a guarantee or a down payment, as it's called in some King James Bibles, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believe, you were marked. And what is the mark on your life? It's the Holy Spirit who's been promised. He's the down payment. If you ever purchase land or a home, you go into this thing called escrow and you've got to put some money. It's called the earnest. And you put the money down to show that you mean business. And in a lot of cases, if you don't come through or you default, you lose your money that was in the escrow account. And so the Lord has given us the promised Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. He's put us on a precipice and says, you want to walk into my promised land? You want to walk into my riches, into my glory, into my grace? You want to receive all that I have for you? Ephesians 1 uh, 17 to 19 goes on to say this, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God, what? Known to you. And I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call. What is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers? And what is the overwhelming greatness of God's, what? power that is working among us believers. The power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. So let me list for you what we have in Jesus Christ. The first thing we have is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's with us. Wow, what an inheritance. Wherever I go, God's Spirit is with me. We have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes known who God is, that God's made known to us. Then we have the light to see the hope of God's calling. Then we have God's rich and glorious inheritance. Then we have the overwhelming greatness of God's power working in you. The problem is, if this is just 
a slide on the screen, we miss it. If this is just a sermon on Groundhog's Day, we miss it. This is what we have every single day, that God has opened our eyes to the revelation to see who God really is. What a great truth, that I get to know the God of the universe, and he gets to know me. By the way, he thinks we're a pretty big deal. We are his precious possession. We are his chosen people. We are his royal priesthood. How do you feel about yourself? Ah, not too good. Well, you didn't hear the sermon. <laughs> we should feel like we're walking on a cloud. I know who I am in Christ. I know who I believe in. I'm persuaded that all the promises he made, he's going to keep. Well, the second time around, the children of Israel come back to the same spot. It's now 1400 BC. 600 plus thousand Israelite men and their women and their kids are standing now on the precipice of the promised land. Moses is gone. Joshua is leading them. Most of the people that were there before are long gone. But Joshua and Caleb were there. And Joshua stood up and he said in Joshua 3, 3 and 4, they commanded the people, as soon as you see the Lord, your God's chest containing the covenant and Levitical priests carrying it, you are to march out from your places and follow it. This is a sign that we are to march in step or lockstep with the presence of God and long for his presence and long for his purpose. But let there be some distance between you and it about 3,000 feet. Otherwise, you get too close to the presence of God, you will die. Others have reached out and tried to steady the ark, and they died. Don't come near it. But you will know the way you should go, even though you've never traveled this way before. Some people often ask, what is God's wisdom for my life? What's his will and purpose for my life? And here's our answer. Always stay close to his presence. Long for his presence. Move where he's moving. Go where he's going. Do what he is doing. Joshua and Caleb had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They had to have thought, will we ever get a second chance? Well, we know how God does things. Just like with the children of Israel, he gives us a second chance as well. The giants were still giants. The land was still plush and lush. Uh, the, all the kites and ites were there still. What was different this time? They chose to walk in the promise of God rather than the circumstances, and they were people who choose faith over fear. They chose faith over fear. We're going to inhabit the land. We're going to move forward I don't know how many of you love naysayers. I mean, you come in with a great idea, and they just are like a wet blanket, just push, you know? Or maybe it's you. Got an idea to, to make something better at your house, and there's somebody saying, we don't need to change anything. We like it the way it is. We painted that bedroom 40 years ago, dear. Why should we change it now? <laughs> well, honey, the, I don't even know what color it was. It's faded. The sun has come in, you know. I told you we should put up curtains. Why should we put up curtains? God made windows for a reason. I mean, come on. And can, can, I, and I, can I tell you as a leader too, 
There are people around, sometimes just, they're so negative. We can't do that. We, we never can amount. That's why I love this church. This church has taken so many risks over the years. You know, the building we're in, the expansion, the building on the corner, the parking lot, and the way we minister to our community and stuff. There's so much more to do, though. And I just wonder where God would have you if you would say, I'm going to put down my circumstances, I'm going to release my fear, and I'm going to walk into the promise that he has for me, the inheritance, inheritance that he has for me. And, and here's the plan, to see God and have the courage to follow him, to follow him. Jesus told, uh, excuse me, Joshua told the people in Joshua 3, 5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things for you. They weren't going to stumble into his promise. They weren't going to fall into the glory place of God or the holy of holies or the promised land. They had to get ready for it. So here's the admonition this morning. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great things. What does consecrate really mean? Let me tell you. I mean, separate yourself from the influences that cause negativity to flow rather than positivity. Oh, that sounds like motivational speaking. Well, let me tell you what I mean. We had two groups of spies. Two said we can, 10 said we can't. The negatives were the we can'ts. God was calling them into the promise. I wonder how much God has for us, even in the here and now. The inheritance that he has for us to give us today a, a sense of, of life and love and value and hope. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I encourage you today, make this a real super Sunday. Give him your life. And if you've kind of just hanging on the precipice, well, I see how good all that is, but I, I can't get there from here. I'm going to ask you to cross that line in faith and say, I'm going to allow the promises of God to build hope in my life, even in a dark situation. We prayed for a, a dear lady in our last service, Patty. Some of you know Patty. She's just battling cancer. And uh, I actually had her come out, and we'd laid hands on her. And just a great, great moment. And here's what I said to her in front of everybody. Patty, I don't know anybody who's dealt with cancer in the last 20 years like you have. Her faith is strong. She's even on a week Sunday will stand up here and be one of our singers. You probably have seen her with her little covering, you know, covering the effects of chemo. And I thought, God bless you. And I said in front of the church, you're a lady who's not letting your circumstances devour your faith. I thought, wow. I said, you know, Patty, I, I complain over the smallest things. And we've got people in church. It's too windy outside. I'm not going to church today. And you're here. Almost every Sunday. She's been a nurse. That's been her career. She's nursed people. And now she needs God to, to do some nursing on her. And uh, when I get her emails during the week, Pastor, what a great sermon on Sunday. She likes me. That's great. I like it. You know? you know, I'm inspired by what you said. Hey, can we walk into the power of God? Can we walk into the inheritance that God's given us? greater than our circumstances, and open up the ground, let the circumstances fall in and say, God, we've got to move on. We've got to move forward. I know some of you have had traumatic things happen to you in your lives, and I'm not, not negating any of that, but what does God have for you in your future? Some of you in your marriage, you're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. I want to end by just 
abbreviating, uh, and then we'll read our promise together, but abbreviating an email that came my way a couple weeks ago. And it said, uh, I'm abbreviating it, and I'm kind of changing the language to protect uh, this person, but they said, uh, I've got permission, but they said, just don't let people know who I am. I don't want to be bombarded by anybody. I said, okay. Pastor Bernie, I've been in the church for 15 years now. The 15 years, you should be in charge by now, you know. And I pray on occasion and I read my Bible, but something I have learned going through the spiritual motions is more draining than entering into God's presence. Going through the motions, pushing God away. God, I know you're there. I I feel shameful and guilty. I haven't spent any time praying or praising or reading my word. But he said, that was more work for me, he said, than actually surrendering to God. And one day I just said, this is my day. I'm going to surrender. And I started reading my Bible again and praying again and having faith conversations with people around me. And I feel closer to God than I've ever been. And my energy level spiritually is higher than it's been because it was a lot of work resisting God. I thought, wow. Can I use that? Yeah, I just don't say who I am. Like, okay, good. Hey, can we take it from this fine gentleman that it's a lot of work resisting God, but it's so much easier when we say, God, have your way in me. Do what you've called me to do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.